You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, January 26th from Blacksburg, the site of tonight's men's basketball matchup between Virginia Tech and Miami. On episode 220 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we'll look back at another tough week for Virginia Tech and an important one coming up with two of the top teams in the ACC coming up on the schedule. And then in the second half of the show, we'll look more at the progress of Brent Pry's football program, some additions to the support staff and their recruiting across the Commonwealth of Virginia. All of that and much more coming up on episode 220 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. Welcome into episode 220 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Whoever you're listening, whether that's archived on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or if you are watching archived on YouTube, be sure to drop a like, a comment, and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel. If you're in the live stream, make sure to give a comment or question in the chat for Will and Chris. We'll get to those with David at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center, Virginia Tech's wrestling program, one of the best in the country and fastest growing. You can continue that growth and help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg. Visit southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. We have our full-time staff on set today (laughs) across the way, founder and general manager Will Stewart. To my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair today, we have a special guest, the managing editor of Tech Sideline and our resident celebrity on set. And then behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land. I am your host, Jake Lyman. Let's get into it here on episode 220 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Mentioned David, resident celebrity, if anybody didn't hear back on Monday, uh, Mike Monaco on the ACC Network referenced David's uh, Hunter Couture charge count on the broadcast. So I'm sitting there watching and uh, Hunter Hunter draws a charge and and the play-by-play guy just goes, you know, Couture draws a charge, David Cunningham would be tracking that on Twitter. (laughs) Like totally glossed over it. It just went right no, through it. And then they didn't put it into context at all. They didn't explain who David was. <laughs> just a quick <laughs> shout out. I just uh, I just had that moment where like, wait a minute, did I, did I just hear what I thought I just heard? So I wonder how many people Googled who is David Cunningham. <laughs> did David, you get any followers, David? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Oh, and the weird thing is, you know, I'm sitting there in Chapel Hill in the Dean Smith Center watching the game and the couture treat. The, the couture charge happens. I send out a tweet. It was his 11th of the season, by the way. Right. Um, and all of a sudden, I just, you know, of course, TV is a little bit behind. And so all of a sudden, I just get a ton of Twitter notifications like, David, you're, you know, you got a shout on the broadcast. And, and Mike Monaco had liked one of my tweets at halftime about uh, some runs. Uh, so I figured, okay, he probably just shouted out, you know, that tweet. And then somebody mentioned it was the, the charge. And I was just like, that's, 
it's really funny. So, um, you know, of course, we've been I've been keeping track of that for a long time. It hasn't happened as much this year as, as we would have thought. I was going to say he's been on a slump recently. Yeah. It's, been, it's been like three weeks, right? I think I, I looked on your... It was, uh, it was the Notre Dame game before that. So, uh, I guess last week. But but before okay. but before that, it, it had been a really long time. Yeah. So, do you have any... Like, did you know Mike Monaco at all? Or did he just I, follow you on We Twitter followed or? each other. We, we met at the Dayton game. Uh-huh. Um, and then we've, you know, we met... Again, we ran into each other again at the Notre Dame game. So we've connected a couple times. Um, he actually, uh, he said when he was doing prep for the Dayton game, that was the first tech game I believe he called this season, he uh, he read my feature and liked my feature on Justin Mutz, the one I wrote at the beginning of the season. So, um, so yeah, really nice guy, great guy, great broadcaster, Mike Monaco. So I appreciate the shout-out. That was really fun. Yeah, my, my only... Uh, complaint is that he's he didn't say David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. <laughs> Get a little bit more publicity uh, for the website as well. Mike Monaco, he he also uh, did an interview a few years ago with Thirty Three Hundred Four Sports. So he, really? he's uh okay. He's been familiar with the Virginia Tech sports media, so it was pretty cool hearing David's name on the broadcast. Uh, besides that, not a great night for Virginia Tech. They kept, <laughs> they kept it close. Other than uh, that, Mrs. Da- Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> David had the best night of any Virginia Tech person. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Tech losing 78-68 to UNC. Back-to-back losses for the Hokies. Last week, a week ago, we sat right here, and the Hokies were 1-4 in the ACC. We said there were three games coming up in the next week, and they could decide the Hokie season. They end up going one and two in that stretch, and the one they won, they were up fifteen nothing early and almost let that one slip away too. Does it feel like things are starting to slip away, maybe to the point where the Hokies can't get it back? Yeah, it kind of feels like Groundhog Day. You wake up and it's, it's just the same thing <laughs> every time. Um, all these games are very, very, very similar. I mean, Tech won the Notre Dame game, they won the NC State game, but o- overall. Even in the games they win, they seem to be very similar to the ones that they lose. Um, they don't play well down the stretch of games, with the exception of the Notre Dame game, yep. it seems. And Maryland way back on, what, December 1st, yep. basically, um, which was a long time ago uh, in college basketball terms. And, you know, you can slice it and dice it however you want. Um, the big one was the Boston College game. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but <clears throat> I feel like that's the one that broke them. You, 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 you can't lose to Boston College. Look, every conference, whether it's football or basketball, has a team or two that exists for everybody else to pad their win column. And, like, the SEC football has Vanderbilt, you know. Missouri. Uh, Missouri. The, 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 the Big Ten has Rutgers. Uh this is what Boston College is supposed to be. We're talking about a team that went 0-18 in the ACC just a few years ago. Right. I mean, this is a horrible, horrible program. And, uh, again, like Groundhog Day, it's some dude nobody's ever heard of, shows up against Virginia Tech and scores 26 James points. Karnick. James yeah. Karnick. He averaged 7.6 points per game, I believe, going into that game. He's at least a starter. At least it wasn't some dude, some dude off the bench. Six man off the bench. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, like as bad as BC is, is he a starter for anybody else in the league? The crazy thing is, and this points to how bad the league is, like BC's bad. They've got a losing overall record, right? They proceeded to go out and lose by 30 in their next game. Right, to Wake Forest, who yeah. is a, who's a good team. Who's one of the few AC teams I would actually classify as good. Um, but, you know, they've, they've, they've won three ACC games. Like, there's no reason. That's a bad team. They should not have won three ACC games yeah. by now. Yeah. 
And, and Joe Lunardi uh, from ESPN, his bracketology currently has six ACC teams listed on the website. Tech is one of them still somehow, despite being two and six in the ACC. Efficiency. They would be in the next four out. Uh, Miami and North Carolina, the last four buys. And somehow Wake Forest is one of the only three teams that is securely in the field right now, along with Duke and Florida State. But just looking at that, we talked about, again, efficiency ratings. The computers love Virginia Tech. They are still somehow in the NCAA tournament conversation. This is going to be a tough week for Virginia Tech. If they steal one this week, is there still some belief when you're playing Miami and Florida State, who, again, are both 6-2 and two in the conference right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, because of uh, the schedule that comes up after that. Yes. Um, it's very, very winnable games after this stretch, and it, and it calms down from uh, a bloated schedule standpoint. Yes. Um, As, in terms of number day. of games. Yeah, because mm-hmm. right now, like, I mean, we talked about this last week, I think. Virginia Tech, you play one day, and then you get one day off, and then you play again the next day. So it's not, not like you can actually get out there and focus heavily on skills and, and things like that because you're – you're traveling. You're traveling and you're resting for, for the next game. Like, you have to have a – like, you can't do a heavy practice every single day. I mean, they're playing an NBA schedule right yep. now, basically, because of the COVID cancellations earlier. So, if there's any, like, big major adjustments that Mike Young needs wants to make, like, he can't make them right now because there's not enough time between games. Yeah. Um, so there, tonight is the last of four games in eight days, and of course the first three were road games. And the thing about that Boston College game is there's a big difference between two and five in the ACC and three and four. Oh, yeah. if they'd won it, they would have been yep. three and four. If they're three and four, you're like, well, they're just they're just you know one game away from being five hundred or above five hundred. When you're two and five, you're like you're not close. You yeah, know? you know when I was watching uh, the Virginia Tech North Carolina game. You know, during the game, it had their records up there, and Virginia Tech was ten and eight, and North Carolina was twelve and six. And I'm just sitting there like, that's not a huge difference. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, if, if Tech wins, if, they're within a game. If if the Xavier shot at the end of the game doesn't go in, and one of those wide open shots Tech missed at the end of the UVA, UVA. game goes in, then they have the exact same record. Yep. And uh, I mean, I know you are what your your record says you are, but it's not like Carolina's. Carolina's very very good at home. Ten but frankly, they're not. Ten they're, and zero. They're not very good at all anywhere else. No. And they, they will come to Blacksburg, I believe, February 19th uh, is when North Carolina ends yeah, up Saturday in the Castle 19th. Coliseum. Yeah. That's that stretch of uh, three home games in seven days for Virginia Tech. Again, it seems like it's going to start to... Sorry, it's four home games in 12 days, three home games in seven days. Yes. You're right. Yes. Uh, it, it's going to start to lighten up for Virginia Tech a little bit. Again, this is going to be a tough week. Again, Miami tonight, 6-2 and two in the ACC, as is Florida State. That game in Tallahassee on Saturday. But then after that, the Hokies play Georgia Tech at home, Pitt on the road, Pitt at home, Syracuse at home. Virginia, All four of those win it, winnable. Right. Virginia yeah. then coming up, North Carolina in Castle Coliseum. It seems like if there's any chance for the Hokies to get right, it would be that stretch of four to six games right there. No doubt. There's lots of winnable games left. Now, at the same time, when the same thing keeps happening over and over again, can you really predict something else to happen yes. until it actually does? And it's totally in their heads now. I know it's sure. in the fan base's heads. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's got to be in the players' um, heads. They, they are uh, – 
they are very good in the efficiency ratings and the Ken Pomeroy ratings and all the computer metrics. They are on the whole, on the on the whole, forty minutes of basketball per game over twenty or twenty one games, whatever they've played. They're an efficient basketball team, except for the last five minutes of games generally. And it would be interesting, like you can't do this, but like if you took ever the last five minutes of everybody's game and just did efficiency ratings for those five minutes. Like what Virginia Tech would be in, in the efficiency ratings then? It's because Kevin Aluma goes from being one of the best bigs in the country to a guy who can't make a shot and is falling down on the court and is dribbling it the ball off out, of bounds. out of bounds. Right. I mean, it's just like night and day. Yeah. Well, and David has put together stats from the final five minutes of seven ACC games. So this doesn't include North Carolina. And we actually did a separate video about this where we it, yeah, talked about separate these stats. Separate videos, so check that out as well. But just to look at Aluma's stats, three of 14 from the floor with six turnovers. I right. mean, your best player can't play that bad in the biggest moments of games. That's yeah. absolutely right. There. Yeah, and if, if I might add, against North Carolina – he didn't attempt a shot in the final five minutes. And had he, at least one turnover. He had one turnover, and he was two of two from the free throw line. But that's all the stats he recorded yeah. in those final couple minutes. Right. And looking at these last two games, Boston College tied at 61, four minutes and 23 seconds left. Hokies only scored two points the rest of the way and lost by five. North Carolina, seven minutes, 44 seconds left, so a little bit further out. Hokies had brought it all the way back within two, were playing great defense, and then the Tar Heels went on an 11-2 run and never looked back. Outside of, again, that Notre Dame and the NC State game, it just feels like if the Hokies are in a tight game late, you just can assume they're not going to pull it out at this point. Yeah, and like Will said, it's got to be in their heads yes. at this point. Yeah, um, and so let's talk about something good from the North Carolina game. Uh, it's it's funny because I uh, after Carnick lit up a Boston College lit Tech up for twenty six, <laughs> I sarcastically said on the message boards, "Baycott won't score that many against Virginia Tech," and that's not a lack of respect for Armando Baycott. I think it's it's interesting because when uh, I, I can't remember if Baycott's in his third or fourth year. I want to say third. He was a very highly rated recruit. And I remember the first time I saw him, I thought, man, why was that guy rated so high? He's, he's just not that good. And he's gotten better. He's, he's a. It takes big men longer to develop. Yeah, you know, unless they're like those top 10 guys. Right. I don't know. Baycott was way up there, I guess, since he went to UNC. Yeah. But let, let's not go down that rabbit hole too far. Um, he had, what did he make his first six shots or something like that? Yeah. In, in about two minutes, yeah. I'm exaggerating. <laughs> I don't know what he make two the rest he of started, the game. He started six of six. Yeah. yeah, and and but I thought that Mutz and Aluma played him hard after that. Mm. Uh, we were talking about this in the office yesterday. Mutz was credited with one block. I think he blocked two or three of Baycott's shots. That, yeah, whoever their stats keeper is down there, I think they missed a couple. He yeah, was a, he sure. was affecting shots all night, even no if doubt. he maybe didn't get. Yeah. get the block on a few. And of them. I know Carolina got a ton of offensive rebounds, but I think that Mutz in particular was really battling down inside. Well, I, I was looking at that uh, this morning, actually, the offensive rebounds. I want to say UNC had 16 offensive rebounds, but Virginia Tech still had more second chance points than North Carolina. Right. So the well, Hokies, they did nothing. They weren't they, doing it. Yeah, exactly. Carolina wasn't. Tech yes. defended them very, very hard and tough on the inside and made it very difficult for them. And, and, then, and to the referee's credit, for the most part, it was a game where they weren't out there calling ticky-tack stuff, for the most part, especially under the basket. They um, were definitely, uh, you know, <laughs> some, somebody... Because there have been games in the past that have been that physical, and you would have seen 25 fouls. Well, Boston, Boston College was like that. Right, right. 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 And, and so, you know, yeah, going back to that Boston College game, something I want to get off my chest is Karnick didn't exist 
until Aluma went to the bench with about six minutes left to go in the first half. And then Karnick started working John Ogiaco. I think he had two points in the first 14 minutes of the game. Then he had 24 in the last 24 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. And he just – so he lit Ogiaco up late in the first half, and then the confidence just kept going. And the refs – every time Tech tried to defend Karnick, the refs were, were blowing the foul. Right. And, spe- and after a while, it's like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> and speaking of Ogiaco, you know, it was when he came into the game that Karnick started going off. And then they wanted to get Keve Aluma one minute of rest against UNC the other night, and they brought in Jalen Haynes instead of John. They did Ogiaco. not bring in Ogiaco. Right. So uh, that's a shot across his bow, is what it seems like to me. And it's it's a. I know that my thinking changed about Ogiaco after that Boston College game. You know, we're all still rooting for him to develop mm-hmm. and become that player. But that game turned when Aluma went out and Ojiaco came in, and it stayed turned. Right, and Jalen Haynes is nowhere close to being ready. Not from, I mean, he plays incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. He's a very, uh, I mean, you could see it in, you know, he's played 23 minutes this year, so all really, you've gotten to see him in garbage time, and that's it. Right. But he comes out there with a ton of energy, but he's completely out of control. And he needs to, he needs <laughs> well, he's to, excited. He, <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. He needs to change his body. Uh, his his he's his mind is you know is, is all he's all over the place. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, he's so, freshman. Right, right, yeah. right. And that's not a criticism. He's just a, he's a young freshman. So the fact that Mike Young would put him in to a close game on the road in the Dean Dome against North Carolina against a guy like Bacot over Johnny Ojiaco, I think speaks volumes. Yeah, that tells you something. It, it tells does. you where Ojiaco is right now, where Mike Young is with Ojiaco. And there were a few, a few possessions in there. He didn't play much, but where Jalen Haynes did look decent defensively, especially playing. Oh, he scrapped. Him. He was playing hard for sure. Yeah. Um, last week we talked about if the Hokies need to win. I asked you guys, what do the Hokies need to do to win? against NC State and moving forward. Do you remember what we said? You guys said that they need to have three players play well offensively and <laughs> score uh, efficiently, uh, and that did not happen against Boston College or UNC. Uh, against Boston College, again, we said one of those three has to be Keve Aluma. There's, there's not going to be a game where there's going to be three players outside of Keve Aluma that are going to be factors offensively, or at least X-factors. Hunter Couture was the second one who played very well against Boston College. He had 14 points. But then Nahim Aline, Justin Mutz, and Storm Murphy combined for just 20 points and did not shoot very well, and they lost that game. North Carolina, Aluma had 19, Mutz had 18. Couture and Nahim, they both hit five threes. They hit five threes combined, but the rest of the team scored eight points combined. So outside of those four guys... There were 60 points scored by those four, eight by the rest of the team. Hokies just, they're just not deep, and we've talked about this a lot, but that's hurt them a lot in close games. Yeah, and, you know, you think about it, they have 11 scholarship players. Mike Young didn't fill up his roster. And I wish they had a traditional small forward because ideally, I think at this point it's fair to say Naheem Aline should be Hunter Couture's backup at the two guard. It's and a more they, they should have a more traditional three man in there instead, instead of Couture at the three. Uh, I don't know oh, who's yeah. the two and three. I mean, instead of, playing, instead of playing playing two, they're, they're both traditional twos, right? Um, they're right. on the floor at the same time, right? But they're on and then they, they shouldn't be. They should have a six five to six seven guy in there uh, who's who's a little more athletic who can rebound. Naheem Malin doesn't have an offensive rebound all year, zero. You would think one would accidentally fall to you, right? At some point after 20 or 21 games or whatever it is. Um, 
I think that was a mistake, not bringing in an extra player in the transfer portal. But if, yeah. but if you remember what happened with the how long the Tyrese Radford stuff drug out, um, and we don't know the circumstance. We, like we know what Tyrese Radford did. Um, we don't know if it was his decision to transfer. We don't know if he was allowed to return to Virginia Tech or not after that from, from a university side. Yeah, the last piece of news on him was what. August or something well, like yeah, that. Well, yeah, I don't think he transferred to A and M until like a week before the semester. Started. Yeah, so it took a it long, was very late. It took a long time to resolve to resolve that. And if you're Mike Young and, and you're recruiting a guy like what was the guy's name? I want to say maybe they were looking at Keith Keith Williams, maybe. Yeah, who, the, the Cincinnati who, guy. Yeah, who went to uh, Western Kentucky with Rick Stansberry. Um, People were talking about him on the boards. Yeah, last uh, night. yeah, and uh, if you're. Uh, if you're a transfer who wants to start, like you're gonna want to know what's gonna happen with Tyrese Rafford. Yeah. Is he coming back or is he not? Because I'm not making a commitment to you, and then all of a sudden he comes back, and, and now I'm coming off the bench. Yep. Right. So I think that made things extreme. That situation made things extremely difficult for him to add someone in the transfer portal. I don't know whether he would have done it or not. I mean, who knows? But. If he wanted to, that situation made it made it difficult, in my opinion. That that's a very good point. And to to address something you said early in those comments, I think, and this is based on no inside knowledge or anything, I think Tyrese decided to leave pretty much on his own. He had I don't sorry guys I don't remember all the details, but he had it. He had the first issue, mm-hmm. and then he. Continued to drive after well, he, that. Well, he, had, he the had a thing second in his car issue that you blow again. into. A blo- he blew yeah. into it, and it was like, oh, you have alcohol. In it. Right. Yeah. So, so he was he was not going to be able to legally drive in the state of Virginia, mm-hmm. and I think he said to heck with it. Time to just go to a different state. Right. And you know, and he wound up down in Texas A and M, where Buzz is, and somebody said he's he's leading them in minutes and of course rebounds because that's, what, that's what Tyrese Rapper does. <laughs> yeah, now I watched him the other night, and, and when they were playing Kentucky and hanging with Kentucky the whole game. And uh, first of all, it's very difficult to watch that guy playing for anybody else. He's got uh, blonde on the end of his uh, dreads now or whatever hairdo he's got going on. And, uh, you know, this is just one game, but he didn't come through for him down the stretch. Yeah, I, but I could, I could, I'd still rather him. have him here. I couldn't watch him. It would be like watching Jamon Gordon play for somebody it, it else. Was, just, it was, there's no way I can watch him play for them. It's just wrong. At, yeah. at least they're sort of wearing maroon. And obviously Tyrese Radford would be the ideal guy to put right in the middle of that starting lineup and just have him run the show. He's not not a traditional three, but but he plays plays like like one. one. Right, exactly. Yeah, and and we've had this discussion of, you know, NC State, I think it was NC State had eight offensive rebounds in the last five minutes of the the one game. Yes. That would not have happened with Tyrese Radford. Right, right, right. And we talk about at least the five star, when, when Radford left, you talk about, okay, well, now at least we know that all five starters, they're going to be great system fits. They're all going to be shooters, you know. I mean, which is ideal for the Mike Young. Well, that was true enough at the time. It seemed true until Naheem Lean turned out to not be so great a shooter. So it's right? it's not just that, but it's I not re- just that. I remember smart basketball people saying that uh, the guys on the roster would run the offense better. Right. And it, I, I've seen a lot of ISO ball. Now, they still move the ball well at times, right. but it's not like this. it's this well-oiled machine I, all the time. I agree. It's not quite as fluid as I thought it would be. As expected, and, yeah. And I, Storm is taking too much flack right now, and I'll tell you why I say that. Okay, so he scored two points the other night against North Carolina and attempted one three-pointer. Yep. 
He played North Carolina two previous times when he was at Wofford, and he scored 15 points in each game. One of them he attempted 10 three-pointers. One of them he attempted six three-pointers. So that's an average of eight attempted three-pointers per game. He's not getting freed up at Virginia Tech like he was at Wofford, in my opinion. I don't know why that is. I don't know enough about X's and O's basketball. But how can he be that prolific against North Carolina playing for Wofford? And by the way, he he started and played 34 minutes for that Wofford team that won in the Dean Dome. Right? Yeah. Yes. It's certainly not because Hubert Davis is a better coach than Roy Williams. <laughs> right? Uh, um, it could be. I mean, maybe the scouting report is more complete now and yada, yada, yada. But I it's, it's something wrong with us. And that I'm not smart enough to know. I'm not what a basketball X's and O's guy, um, but just when you look at the fact that Storm has played against a high, at a high level against North Carolina in the past and gotten up a ton of shots, good shots, and then the other night it was just they were all over him. He couldn't he couldn't find any open looks. Yeah, um, he you could have argued that he could have shot a couple, but they they would have been decent shots, not great looks. Um, you know, so it's just something wrong with us. He's not getting freed yeah, up. It's, it's, and he didn't, he didn't magically forget the Mike Young system overnight. He didn't magically get less athletic overnight. He's the same as he was a couple years ago when he was part of a team that beat North Carolina in, in the Dean Dome. And, Number five ranked North Carolina. Yes, right, right. A, a much it, better North Carolina team. Exactly. And so, I don't know. It's just, if I, I, I don't know what the issue is, but I think people who were – point that storm every single time or pretty off base to be quite honest we can all and, and it's interesting because people come on the message boards and they pick their one thing that they think is the problem it's all of it mm-hmm. it's nahimaline shooting percentage it's keve aluma not coming through down the stretch it's hunter couture not even taking shots in the last five minutes he rolled off of that pick to the top of the key multiple times against Carolina, and he can make that shot. He right. can drill We've that shot, yeah. and he didn't take it. Mm-hmm. And they were not fighting through screens very well. That that shot was there for him. And so everybody's got their little thing that they think it is. It's all of it, folks. It's it's enough <clears throat> to where the sum the the whole is less than the sum of the parts. Right. And and I'm not smart enough to know why that is. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was I was going to chime in on the Storm Murphy thing. He's talked about his role being different at Virginia Tech versus Walford, where here he's more of a facilitator than at Walford. He was a scoring option. I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it has to do with teams have realized that if they basically, not, I'm not going to say press him, but if they pressure him for 90 feet, it slows Tech down. And, and I think one of the other things that, that you throw into that pot is we mentioned that this Mike Young team, everybody can shoot the ball, or at least that was the theory coming in. Everybody has made every, all five starters have made threes this season. I think part of it is Murphy with being that facilitator is trying to spread the ball to everybody and making sure that everybody gets their shots where Naheem Aline takes his shots, Hunter Couture takes his shots. And I think, He's been a little unselfish, and he should take more shots. You guys mentioned Tyrese Radford, and I want to touch on it real here, real quick here, because we had a question in the YouTube chat um, from Team T Man Four Fifty, who mentioned Joe Bamisil and mentioned Jalen Cohn at Northern Arizona, and Joe Bamisil at George Washington, and Tyrese Radford at Texas A&M, and simply said, "What does it say that all three of these players left and are lighting up? Does it say anything, or is it?" 
about Virginia Tech or more so about the players? I think it's it's Mike Young has to be very careful how who he recruits. Um, these days, you recruit a top 100 freshman out of high school, and I know Radford wasn't top 100, but that, yeah, I don't I don't think you could put Radford in the in the in, pot that you're talking the, about in the pot yeah. with those other guys. That's the totally t- different circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as the other two guys go, you're talking about four star top 100 players, and uh, Joe Bamisil was a guy who played honestly played I believe for three different high schools in four years in Richmond. He's a guy that moves around a lot to begin with. And these days, if you're a highly touted freshman out of high school and you don't play a bunch your first year, you're going to hit the transfer portal. So you've got to be able to ha- handle that if you're, if you're Mike Young. You've got to be able to find a way to get those guys enough minutes their, fr- their first year so they're happy enough to stay for their second. And he didn't do that with Bamasil. And – if you don't do that, it, it means you wasted your time recruiting them in the first place. You could have found a guy ranked slightly lower who would be happier with less playing time because he wasn't ranked as high to begin with, and then you can develop him and keep him in the program and things like that. So just because you go out and sign a top 100 player for, for, the, for this program for basketball doesn't mean that's the, be- that's the right recruiting decision. So uh, Jalen Cohn is a guy scored 30-some points the other night. For 36, a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's a five nine shooting guard, and you know these these basketball players these days they're not just thinking about their college career, and they're not just thinking about the NBA. Jalen Cohn's never going to play in the NBA, um, but these days you can make six and seven year six and seven figures playing overseas basketball, you know, in 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 France, Spain, Tur- it's big in Turkey, places like that. Uh, got a lot of money over there. I think Jamon Gordon spent most of his career in Turkey, and he was making like 1.5 million euros per year. Mal- Malcolm the Delaney's Do- playing over there, and he's, he's making a ton, ton of, of money. money. Yeah, um, so, uh, like I, I think uh, I think Delaney was is making more over there than he was in the NBA. Yeah. Um, for so for a guy like Jalen Cohn, he has an opportunity. He's a talented enough basketball player to go overseas and make six six figures probably, you know, one day. But He's not going to do it as a shooting guard. He had to learn point guard skills, and he was not going to play point guard here. So he made a business decision for his long-term future. Um, and that that's not something you would have seen 15, 20 years ago when these salaries overseas, they weren't so high. Overseas you know? but, was not a consideration. But, but, yeah. but basketball has blown up internationally since then, and that is a consideration. Yeah. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is, is recruiting a guy for this recruiting class. So I, I think he's the top uncommitted player in the country right now, Daly. I think his name's Eric Daly, I believe. He grew up overseas because his dad, uh, I believe, played overseas basketball and things like that. And he's trying to decide where he wants to go to school. And, and I think Tech's got a decent shot at him if he plays United States college basketball. From what I understand, he had a, a contract offer from Barcelona at the age of 16 to play professional basketball. Wow. I mean, and that's the same organization as – FC Barcelona, Lionel Messi, and yes. that whole group. Yeah, you know? I want to say Luka Doncic played for them. Yeah, yeah. right. So uh, it's it's just it's much much bigger these days, and uh, so you have to be awfully careful. I think when you're Mike Young and you run a system offense like that, that takes a couple of years for guys to acclimate to it. You have to be very careful who you recruit. You don't want to over recruit yourself in terms of rankings because a lot of guys with a ton of options, and, and they're told how good they were going to be, and they see the stars next to their name, and they and they come in and they don't play very much. They're going to be unhappy at the situation, Ooh, and they're going I'm to be out. gone. It's extremely important. Now, I know the the relationship with Mike Jones will help here, but um, Rodney Rice, Rodney Rice, is a top one hundred player coming in next year. Very highly touted dude. Pick Tech over Louisville and a bunch of other teams. 
you have to make sure he plays enough next year to where he stays. Otherwise, it was a waste of time to recruit yeah. him. It, it's a big challenge because, you know, you watch what Virginia did when they hired Tony Bennett, late 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's actually been there a while. Long time, um, yeah. And he came in, he was a system coach. They finally decided to, and we've talked about this before, they decided to stop competing with Duke and UNC on their own terms mm-hmm. and do something a little different. Mm-hmm. And it worked out for them. And so when you see the Mike Young hire, you're like, you know, the, I can see that working for Virginia Tech, a system coach who can get guys here and keep them here. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, you know, I don't want to be the old man shouting at clouds, <laughs> you know, or telling people to get off my lawn. But the transfer portal is a real thing. It's a real thing that is just sucking players right out of programs if they don't play right away and they're not happy right away. And that's a challenge that Mike Young has in 2021 and 2022 that Tony Bennett didn't have right. like, it, until. It's, yes. it's, it's more of a challenge now to build his type of program than it would have been 10 years ago. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That sums it up much more tidily. And, again, we mentioned those three players, Radford, Bamisil, Cone, all on the wing, and that's kind of where at the beginning of the season we talked about. Joe Bamisil would be very nice right now. That you described 6'5", yes. 6'7", six, six, athletic small forward. I think that pretty much describes Joe Bamisil uh, to a T. Let's talk quickly about Miami before we take our break here. Uh, Hokies went 2-0 and against the Canes last year, but they have been surprising 6-2 and in the ACC. Uh, I do have some good news, though. No more Chris Likes. I feel like it's been oh. 10 years since he uh, started at Miami, but he is no longer with the Canes, but he is still in college. He transferred to Arkansas. Yeah, but, yeah. but isn't Isaiah Wong the guy who made a bunch of free throws in that double or triple oh, over? I've always game? been extremely impressed with Isaiah Wong as yeah. a player. He's yeah. one of those guys when you watch him play in person. Now, granted, I haven't seen him play in person for a couple of years now. I remember the first time I saw him play in person, and he just had a wow factor to him where I thought he was really, really good. And I've always been – terrified him of him ever since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why he just has this look about him i remember when i was a kid going to a braves cubs game and andre dawson is batting and just because of the look andre dawson had at the plate i was terrified he was going to hit a home run every time he came up to bat just because of how he looked and uh i think he went over for four but i was still terrified of him every time he came up to bat and uh it's kind of like that with isaiah wong to me like i, I just look at him and I remember what he's done to us in the past, and I'm like, oh, God, please just just limit the damage. Please. Well, and not to gloss over the Chris Likes thing, I, too, am glad he's not there anymore. <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. Miami's had a good year. Imagine if he had stayed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he transferred to Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. with uh, Eric Musselman, I believe. To be fair, Arkansas there. has been a top 25 team they almost have. the entire season. They well, have. and they build and, their program right. off of transfers. Right. And, but and, do you realize what you're saying? He left South Beach to go to Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. Transfer portal. <laughs> yeah, and you may. Sorry to interrupt, Chris. Are you getting ready to say something? I remember back when I was a kid where Arkansas was a very, very good 40 program. minutes of hell. Yeah. 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 And uh, Nolan they, Richardson? Yeah. I think there was a certain way they built those teams back then. <laughs> and they're, they're used to uh, playing winning basketball in, in, our, in Arkansas. And I don't, I don't know who their coach now is or anything like that. I know, I know they've developed into a very successful program. Um, and I guess if you're in likes shoes, like Miami wasn't very good last year, so yeah. you're going to transfer. And but but and, but you and, never you, you know you never know like uh, maybe there was a chemistry issue or something like that. I mean you, you never truly know like uh, like Virginia Tech lost a lot of really good football players after the 2003 season, right? Uh, and then they were better in 2004. Yes. They had better chemistry yeah. in 2004. Like and they. It, 
Um, um, so sometimes it's sometimes it's more about chemistry than it is about. And maybe Chris likes would would go out to clubs with the rest of the team, and since he's the short guy. You know, the girls would attach themselves to the tall guys and he'd be left there hanging by himself. Maybe South Beast just wasn't that big of a deal for him. And he had been there for eight years at that point. So uh, he, he had, Time to, for a change of he had to find a change of scenery. As a guy who's 5'8", I'm, I'm kind of uh, sensitive to that stuff. Not sensitive, but aware of that kind of thing. Uh, and you guys mentioned Isaiah Wong, averaging just under 17 points per game. Not their leading scorer, though. Cameron McGusty has just under 18 points per game. So both of those guys going to be uh, tests for now, Virginia Tech's perimeter uh, defense. What position does McGusty? I haven't watched them. McGusty's play at all. a small forward. Yeah. Wong plays the shooting guard. Okay. McGusty's a type tech needs. Yeah, I would love to have a guy. Yeah, like he, he's a six-five small time. forward who can shoot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so going to be a tough test for the Hokies tonight inside Castle Coliseum. But again, good news is Tech 2-0 and against the Canes last year with a pretty similar roster makeup to what they have now. Well, then the, the thing that we talked about this before we went live, the thing that blows my mind is Virginia Tech's favored by like five points. Um, and I just that's just not what I would expect. Now, if y'all want Virginia Tech to win, I'll, I'll go bet on Virginia Tech. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, like, I don't know Miami's haul away split, how good they've been on the road. Or anything like they that. They beat Duke and Cameron, I'll tell That's you that. That's true. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so. By the way, the stock market's also nosediving this month. If you want it to go back up, I can <laughs> sell my stocks, and it'll, it'll immediately rebound 20% in the next two months. Just sell them to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if anybody's making a trip to West Virginia to bet on the Hokies tonight or against the Hokies. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> uh, let's hand it off to David. What you got at the midway point? Uh, nothing much in the YouTube chat, but I do – I wanted to ask you guys some quite a couple questions about the North Carolina game. I don't know if you guys read my post game article. I guess this is a little test. Tech shot nine. Tech had nine shots in the last five minutes of the game. How many do you think Tech made? Nine in the last five minutes of the game. Uh, two. Hunter made one. I remember that. Uh, Padula made one on the blast possession where he they did. just gave him the entire line. So two. They made nine. a lot of free throws. I'd say two. Five of nine. Really? Tech what? was five of nine in the final five minutes of the game. Hmm. You want to guess what North Carolina was? <laughs> North Carolina had five shots. You want to guess how many shots North Carolina made? Five. Four. Uh, and a bunch of free throws. And 10 of 12 from wow. the free throw line. From right, the free throw right. line. Yeah. I mentioned that Keve Luma didn't even attempt the shot. You mentioned, Will, that Hunter Couture did. Hunter Couture made his first shot in the final five minutes. He's one of five. This year, in the final five minutes, one of four from three. Um, of ACC games. Yes. Eight ACC games? Is that what we're up Ace, to? Eight ACC games. Eight, he's, so 40 minutes of play. and He's uh, taken five shots in the final five minutes of the game. Right. Um, Justin Mutz has taken 11 shots in the final five minutes. It's second most, tied for second most with Aline behind Aluma. Where Aline has made Two, how many do you think Mutz has made? I think he's over 50%. Five. I'm looking at what he had before that. Um, <laughs> Which I don't remember. I don't remember what was I'd in I'd say there. he made seven. Mutz is eight of 11 in the final five minutes of games. So, you know, this is a, a tech team in the, in the final five minutes of the North Carolina game that was five of nine, four or five from two-point range. They were one of four from three. Um and only allowed one offensive rebound, which, Will, you and I talked about the other day. Offensive rebound was a big problem. The problem was that North Carolina got to the free throw line and shot 12 free throws. So Yeah, um, yeah Tech couldn't get a stop no matter what, whether it was uh, 
just in traditional defense, and then Carolina didn't, didn't miss their free throw. I wanted to ask you guys, so Tech right now, in terms of ACC standings, Virginia Tech is second to last in the ACC standings. Tech is 2-6. and six. The only team below Tech is Georgia Tech at 1-6. and six. Even Pitt and Syracuse, there are, there are four teams tied for, I guess, a ninth or tenth that are all 3-6. and six. That's Clemson, NC State, Syracuse, and Pitt. Um, what... If you guys had to guess, what would you think Tech's net rating is currently? I know, Chris, you said the analytics like Tech, and they do. If you had to guess, what do you think Tech's net rating is? I 44th. Think, yeah, I think they were hovering around 40 before the last couple My guess of games. Is 44. Around in that range, yeah. Maybe. Jake, do you have a guess? I'll go a little lower, 47. It's 55. Okay, so it's they dropped a little since. Like a yeah. yeah. You know, what's crazy is Virginia's 94. In right. the net. And Virginia has, is currently better than Virginia Tech is. They're they're not a good basketball team, though. So they're still not a good basketball. Uh, team. Virginia, they're, they're above five hundred in the ACC, correct? Yes. Yeah, but they're still not a very good basketball. Not a very good basketball team. It, it Virginia's it, six and four in the ACC. Wow. It it is interesting looking at Joe Lunardi, the bra- or all of the bracketology people, and Tech is higher than Virginia, despite you know Virginia has the head to head win and a better record. It just well it shows you. I mean, if computer. Virginia's net is that low, yeah. it means they're a horribly inefficient team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like the, they they played bad basketball earlier this year, so they're they're going to have to improve their efficiency ratings a, a lot. Um, and I don't know how many like quad one wins they have, but there's not a lot of quad one wins available in this league. Not in this so the ACC is <laughs> the gift and the curse. Like Virginia Tech has the opportunity to still win a lot of basketball games this year. If they can win one of these next two, there's four games right after that. They could sweep. Yep. They yeah. could certainly sweep. And if you go, let's just and, say, 5-1 and, and one in the next six, then you're right back right, in the conversation. And, and that's possible. Um, if you just look at the teams they're playing, they're, it's not a good league. But at the same time, did you get enough quality wins added to your resume dur- during that stretch. So it's one of the things that, that bedeviled Seth Greenberg other than Seth's own issues was Seth would finish fourth in the ACC, but it was a bad ACC. I remember, and I, this may not be exactly right, but there was a situation one year where I think Tech finished third in the ACC. They were 10 and 6. And the NCAA took teams 1, 2, and 4 out of the ACC and skipped to Virginia Tech, and right. that was it. That was it. Um, you know, and Seth's issue, and it, it, I remember there was a site back in the day that I, that I could use, and I forget the name of it, but you you could mess around with the scheduling. Like you could take out one team out of the schedule, and if you took out that team and added another, and you could see how that changed each team's right. RPI and strength of schedule. The easiest thing for Virginia Tech to do under Seth Greenberg was to take out one of those dog teams. Maryland Eastern Shore. Take out Maryland Eastern Shore and play a Division Two team because Division Two didn't count towards the RPI. That's all they had to do. And every time I would do that math, they would add like 12 to 15 <laughs> spots for Virginia Tech for both RPI and strength of schedule. By changing uh, one game. By changing one game. Yeah. And you, it, your computer numbers go up so much when you do that. And it would have been impossible to keep Tech out. Ironically, in 2006, 2007, when Tech was a five seed and they had great computer numbers, guess what they did that year? They played a Division two team. So, I mean, Seth kept making the same mistake over and over again. And Chris could dedicate a whole podcast to <laughs> yeah. Seth. He used to write articles all the time about Seth Greenberg's scheduling mistakes. Yeah. And Tech had all these buy games. They'd play like, but I'm not exaggerating, 10 home you, games. You can complain about the selection committee all you want, but all the information was there on how Virginia Tech had to schedule to make the NCAA tournament. And guess what? They didn't have to play a bunch of awesome it. teams to do it. All Playing you had to do was teams. play a Division II team. <laughs> it was a huge loophole, and we never took advantage. <laughs> so the the last thing I'll say 
Um, in terms of net strength of schedule, I think here's the big difference. Virginia Tech versus Virginia. Tech is it, net, Tech's net strength of schedule is 56. Virginia is 85. Um, in terms of non-conference, UV is actually better. It's 135 to 145. Um, the Hokies are 0-4 in Quadrant 1 games. UVA is 2-3. But um, a little tidbit on Miami. Um, you know, Ken Palm. Ken Palm favors the Hokies just like Vegas does. Um, my Miami... Miami's is two or one and two in its last three games. Both of the losses came against Florida State, who is really really hot at the moment. So Miami and Florida State have both beat Duke um, recently, but before its first loss to Florida State, Miami had won nine games in a row. Right. Wow. So this is a hot team when it's not playing Florida State. And the game in between the two Florida State games, they blew out North Carolina 85-57. Right, right. And uh, Carolina's been smoked in a couple of their recent games, too. They got 23 rebounds against Wake Forest and still got hammered. 23 offensive rebounds. Offensive rebounds, that's what I meant, yeah. Um, At any rate, Florida State's one of those teams, kind of like Virginia Tech that was picked high in the conference. They didn't get off to a good start. Or or like maybe two two weeks ago, I was like, man, they're not very good. That's surprising, yeah. and now, now they're looking more now like they were expected to. Look. Tied for the top of the conference with Duke and Miami, yeah. so definitely yeah. a tough stretch coming up for Virginia Tech over the next couple of days. But then it lightens up. Still a chance for the Hokies to save this season, but probably has to start tonight. Uh, if you can get a home win against Miami, that would go a long way uh, towards improving their record. Uh, I think that's going to do it for basketball talk here. Uh, we will talk some football on the other side of the break here on episode 220 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Going to talk about recruiting Virginia, how Brent Pry's staff is going to do it, and how they're already out on the trail getting into Virginia high schools. We'll also talk about some of the new support staff hires over the last week on Brent Pry's new staff. Stay with us here on episode 220 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back on episode 220 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We spent the first half of today's show talking about the basketball team. We're going to transition to football here in the second half. Again, we have our full-time staff on set today, Will, Chris, David in the fourth chair, Malcolm behind the scenes, and I'm Jake Lyman, your host. Let's get right into football. We're going to talk a little bit of recruiting today. Brent Pry has made it a very big emphasis early on uh, since he was introduced that he wants to recruit Virginia. He wants to make Virginia the priority for Virginia Tech. Uh, And let's look at some of the places that they've been able to recruit Virginia, him and his staff, in their previous stops in their career. Uh, We have this map uh, showing all the counties that they've been able to recruit. And it's funny, you look at it. Uh, Chesterfield has Chesterfield. been the big hotspot for this staff. Uh, <laughs> six players uh, recruited out of that county. Chesterfield, Virginia. We are coming for all your football players, <laughs> for sure. Um, now, to clarify, these are FBS players only. Okay. This is all Virginia Tech's current coaches at all their previous schools, the number of in-state recruits they've signed at FBS schools. Obviously, a guy like Fontel Mines, has probably signed guys from Richmond and the 757. But 247 doesn't track FCS signings, uh, like as far as like what coaches who recruited them and things like that. So when Fontel Mines was heavily recruiting Richmond or the 757 for, for Richmond or, or, or where, you know, wherever else, um, it's not going to show up in these numbers. These are FBS signings only. Um, but yes, obviously a ton of experience. 
around that Richmond area. Uh, honestly, all the way down to Petersburg, like around Dinwiddie, uh, all the way up to Louisa County, um, Henrico, Fluvanna, you know, the Fredericksburg area and things like that. So in that central area of Virginia, there's a lot of experience. And obviously, you know, you see some signings from uh, northern Virginia in there as well. Only a couple guys from the 757, you know, one from Suffolk, one from uh, Virginia Beach, and those are the two guys that uh, J.C. Price signed this past year. Oh, so we need to be aware. So we're currently showing a graphic on the YouTube stream. So for our audio-only listeners, we kind of need to... Yeah, and and as we progress with our technology here, (laughs) it's going to be better for you to watch the podcast than listen to it, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe. We We should actually, at some point, point we should probably change the name from the TSL podcast to TSL TV. TSL TV. I like it. As as we add more (laughs) graphics and things like that. It's so much more than just a podcast now but uh you know this graphic will be included if in, in a later article if you're a tsl pass subscribe well right. and if you're listening maybe switch on over to youtube just check this out i believe we're going to clip this later for for you to watch on youtube as well uh, but for our audio listeners there's a large hot spot around richmond you look at chesterfield uh as well as fluvanna. richmond fluvanna henrico uh, Hanover, Louisa, lots of players in there. A few from Northern Virginia. You look at Stafford, Prince William, Fairfax, Arlington. And then, as you mentioned, just a few in the 757 and in Southwest Virginia. So, again, that hot spot around Richmond, that's going to be a, a, a large focus for the staff, but also have to expand Northern Virginia in the 757, uh, where there's a little bit less experience there. Yeah. Um, as far as FBS signings, though, and, and like I said, Fontel Mines, I believe, has, knows enough people in the 757 where I figure if you include FCS signings, uh, that, number would, schools, get higher. that <clears throat> number would get higher. I don't know that for a fact because that data isn't tracked. So uh, it's incomplete. Um, it's it's a good reference point, but, but it's incomplete. But I do believe that if I had to guess going forward – um, I, I think Virginia Tech will sign more players within a one-hour radius of Richmond than anywhere else. That's kind of what I'm thinking, yeah. And and I, I also think they'll – I think there will be more players signed out of Northern Virginia than, mm-hmm. than what you see on this map. Right. Um, personal note, I'm embarrassed to admit I had no clue where Tazewell County was. I thought it was up around <laughs> Roanoke. Sorry if that makes Tazewell County denizens mad. Um, and I do have another question. Three signees out of Fluvanna. What's yes. going on in Fluvanna? Do you guys know? Do you They're remember? Loaded. No, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that, that is a stuff. football hotspot in Fluvanna County. Well, I know that <laughs> they didn't prize signed a linebacker out of. Um, uh, you're you're talking about Brandon Smith. Brandon and Smith. He's from Louisa. Christian, Louisa. Hack, Christian Hackenberg was from Fluvanna. Right. Really? He's not included or, on this. Originally. List. Okay. Uh, right. Well. Was he really? Was Hackenberg actually a Virginia recruit, or did he just well, he come to, here and play? He went to, I think he well, was Well, yeah, but Fort Union kids are generally from out of state. Oh, so it's Fort Union in Fluvanna? Is that uh, that's it. That's it. That's, 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 that's Fort yeah. Union, guys. So it's a little bit misleading from that standpoint because Fort Union kids aren't necessarily from Virginia. Yes. They just maybe spend a year of prep school here. Yeah. So, you know, you have to take that part of it with, with, with a grain of salt. But if you're looking at the map, there's a whole bunch of areas highlighted, and they all have one recruit. Except for Chesterfield with six and Fluvanna slash Fork Union with three. Right, and you can kind of throw the Fork Union thing out. So that is very interesting to see if if Fluvanna is Fork Union. Chesterfield is the only county in Virginia with more than one, and they have six. Six? (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But there is a cluster there around the Richmond yes. area. Yeah. yeah. And up in the Fredericksburg area too. I think that's right. something to highlight as well. That's I mean, I don't know. Jake, you're from Nova. Do do people from Nova consider Fredericksburg Nova? It's up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I've always wondered that too. I personally don't. I think it's kind of in that <laughs> That, that that the media void right yeah. be- between Nova and Richmond. Yeah, well, I was just yeah. gonna say a lot of Pry, especially in Penn State, heavily recruited that that Fredericksburg mm-hmm. area. Um, you guys tour like, Gross, you tour Gross Matos, guys well, like fur- that. Even further up, um, I can't believe I'm blanking. Arlington on well, Stafford, Briar Briar Woods, quarterback for uh, Penn State forever. Uh, Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley was from Ashburn, which is mm-hmm. yeah. 20 minutes from where I live the, in Loudoun. Pry and Penn State love that, that right. Fredericksburg, Northern Virginia area. No doubt. Yeah. Yep. And you can see that already. Uh, David's compiled a list of all of the Virginia schools and all of the schools that uh, Tech has publicly visited uh, with this new staff. 66 in-state schools. Uh, and I just love seeing Sean Quinn all over Twitter. He's going to all the schools I played baseball against over the last <laughs> right. over four years. So he's up in Northern Virginia. He is. Uh, last night he was at my sister's high school, which is three minutes from my house, uh, two years old. They have a, an offensive lineman there, Anthony Donko, who's 6'5", 3'10". So maybe we'll get a, a light ridge lightning to Virginia Tech at some point. Yeah, and they are doing a lot of stuff state. Out yeah. of state stuff yes. right now too. Uh, Twenty schools out of state that they've gone to that we know publicly. Of, yeah. That we yes. know of. Um, I think they're definitely making a focus to publish all of the in-state stuff on yeah. social media. I don't know yes. about the out-of-state stuff. Right. Um, I, I do know Brad Glenn has been down in Georgia. He tweeted the other day. It's been great recruiting Georgia and getting Virginia to word out to Georgia, but he didn't tweet from any specific high schools down there. So you're, you're right, sure right, so. that he maybe went to five. Yeah, he Glenn, probably went to five or ten high yeah. schools. And, and yeah, I have, I have right. three on the list that right. Glenn like publicly right. went right. to. And then but, there was – sure he's more. And then, and then four four members of the staff, Prelu, Bowen, Quinn, and Rudolph, all went to, to Perry High School to visit Daquan Wright. Right, right, exactly. And uh, you've got Derek Jones in Charlotte right, right now. Which, and, I, which I liked very much. Yeah, and David's compiled this great spreadsheet. Uh, six schools in Tennessee, I believe. About four in South Carolina, five in North Carolina, one in Maryland, five in Georgia, one in Florida. So uh, lots of schools out of the Commonwealth. But it does. It obviously seems like Pry has put a big emphasis on Virginia, and I think we're going to see this map uh, start to fill up pretty quickly yeah. over the next couple of years. Um, I would want to have a little fun here with some recruiting. Send it over to David. Uh, David, let's pick three high schools, and we're going to see if Will and Chris can figure out who the last Virginia Tech player uh, uh, to come to Blacksburg from there was. All right. So the first ones is that I'm not going to pick any school with any current players because that's kind of cheating. Um, from I will I will give you the school the where it's located. Yeah, the high school where it's located and the year. Um, we'll start with uh, uh, which one? We'll start with uh, Massapunax, which is in Fredericksburg. Mm-hmm. The last tech there haven't been many out of there. The last Virginia guy, tech guy was in 2014. Vinny Mahota. It was Vinny Mahota. Vinny Mahota. Wow. Uh, Man, that dude left it all on the field. He sure he did. did. His yeah. shoulders included. He has no <laughs> shoulders now. Uh, a one of many fan favorites, uh, 2003 Western Branch in Chesapeake. Oh, uh, West, 2003 Western Branch would have been uh, Vince Hall. Vince Hall, right. Vince yeah. Hall. Uh, and then the last one, um, should I should I do a, a really old one? for? Go for it, man. Go for it. Uh, 
Uh, I consider two. You never know what'll stick in my one. brain. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm talking like '80s, '90s. Oh, well, you go know, for it, you man. Go Do nineties. Go ahead. Might as well go. Um, the lat Cortland High School, 1995. Cor- oh, in Lord. Spotsylvania. Oh, uh, Angelo Harrison. Uh, he and I think he and Tyron Edmond. It ty- I put I had ty- Tyron Edmond written down. Both of both of them, but they class. both were in the same class. Okay, okay. so. Look at Chris. Chris I'm, I'm really surprised. Chris knows his football you recruiting went three in Virginia. For three on that, I thought we were going to see some uh, some struggles some with duh. a couple of those. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> the Vince Hall it's, one it's, was it's a few. Yes. God, it's been a few summers ago now, probably more than that. Where I went through and I fleshed out our recruiting database all the way back to the '80s, just going right. through all the Hokie Hodlers. So when I was doing that, like you know, I'm entering these guys in the high schools they went to, and some of it just stuck into my head. Yeah. So yeah. that's probably where the, I got that pulled the Angelo mm-hmm. Harrison from. I think that was longer ago than you think. That that project was a, a while ago. Yeah, I guess yeah. it was. I, I want to do one more here just because I think it might stump you guys. I'm not sure. Maybe you'll get it. Giles High School in 2009. Uh, Cody Jernell. Cody Jernell. Ah, okay. The I thought Perfect. maybe the kicker might get you. No more. I'm going to leave <laughs> off per. <laughs> He's four for yeah, four. Yeah, well, I, I know I asked you guys about this in the office yesterday, but Abingdon High School. Mitchell Ludwig. Yeah, your guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Personal yeah. trainer. Here we go. The, wow. Uh, the, the football powerhouse that is Abington. <laughs> yeah, so 60, 66 schools, and these are, of course, just the ones that Virginia Tech has, has publicly visited. Sean Quinn has been working his tail off. Um, he's on here a lot. I did not compile. I did not calculate how many were him that he's been to. Um, but there's a lot. It ranges everywhere from Bassett High School, uh, which was Joe Rudolph. Um, Rudolph seemed to be around the Lynchburg area. Hold on. They went to Bassett High School? Bassett High School. The first high school football game I ever played in was Bassett High the School. La- is, okay, is, that, who, is that where Maurice DeShazo went? Um, and 2009 offensive lineman. Uh, uh, Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller. Look at look at Chris go. I was just gonna say <laughs> everywhere from there to obviously the 757, but um, but but they have they've gone to some schools in Southwest Virginia too. I mean, they went to, they went to like Narrows High School. So I haven't seen them at Chatham High School. I'm offended. <laughs> they haven't been to mine either. They didn't come there to recruit. They did Chris go to the. And, I will say they did go to the Bay Rivers District, but they went to Tab, and they went to Jamestown and Warhill, and they did not go to York. I'm offended, but I, I'm offended too. My high school is literally a minute and a half away from my sister's high school, where Sean Quinn was last night, and what, he didn't go to mine. So. Which which high school did you go? To? John Champ. It's only ten years old. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been an FBS player to come out of there. Oh. Never mind. We have one. He went to a VMI and then went to – he's at Cal now. No, I'll, I'll say this. There was one pitcher I saw. I forget where they were at, but I think it was in southwest Virginia one time. Uh, and the coach was uh, – the tech coach was like, excited to be in here with coach blah, blah, blah of whatever high school. And then you look at the pitcher and there's like four of them. Yeah. And there's another guy in the pitcher who's wearing a shirt from a different high school in the area. So it might be they're going to certain areas and, and not get, going to every single high school. It's just all the coaches from that, that area are meeting at one spot. That, that would right. make a lot of sense. Which that would make a lot more sense. Which makes sense for my area because that high school, there are four high schools within five minutes. Uh, so maybe they all just came together. Yeah, the, on, the only ones I have on the list that multiple coaches in Virginia went to were a lot of uh, the Richmond area guys, Manchester, um, no, no. Uh, Trinity, uh, Verina, uh, stuff like that, Highland but, Springs, but so. hi, yeah, of course the Highland Springs can't forget Warren <laughs> Johnson. But I mean, they did 
you know, Pry and, and Holton Rudolph were in North Carolina going to some schools around Winston-Salem, around that area, Pilot Mountain. So mm-hmm. they've uh, they've covered a whole lot of ground, and it's been a week and a half. And so I know that Tech Fan is sitting out there thinking, did the old staff do this at all? And we don't really know. They certainly didn't tweet about it. There was right. It was not publicized if they did. Now, yeah. you know, it is important to point out that right now they are making – Every effort to make the current coaches' staff seem like the direct opposite of the previous staff. Yes, that's where the focus is. Yes. Um, and I don't blame them at all for doing that. Um, now, that being said, I, I do think it probably casts some negative light on the old staff that is probably unwarranted. But you can't worry about that right now because they're gone. Um, yeah. yeah. Right now, you just got to make the fans happy. Yeah, we talked about that with the snowball fight last week. It's tough to praise one guy without also maybe – criticizing the other but uh let, let's move on some new some news with the program over the last week and chris just put out a good article about this on techsideline.com make sure you check that out as well uh, new support staff hires uh and i think the most interesting uh is the new position the director of sports science which will be filled by brian jackson coming over from william and mary mm-hmm. uh chris just for those of us who may be think that sports science is just a segment on sports center uh <laughs> what exactly is he going to be doing Oh, man, everything from monitoring uh, GPS analytics to coordinating efforts between nutrition and strength and conditioning. Uh, I think Virginia Tech, you know, needs a couple of bad cops over there to a certain extent to enforce some stuff. Like, uh, I don't think that's going to be an issue with the new strength staff. Like, uh, I go to the gym with somebody who played with Jarrett Ferguson and who was on the strength staff briefly at Virginia Tech with with Jarrett Ferguson and he was like you're not going to have to worry about discipline under Fer- you know with Ferguson in there he will light some dudes up you mm. know uh, so I'm very glad to see Ferguson back but I, I think Tech's main issue you know I, like you tell kids you need this amount of calories every day and it needs to be this type of food most of them aren't going to do it You you have to make them and you're talking about big, strong football players. They're not going to be intimidated. I don't know very many intimidating dietitians, right? <laughs> right? Um, the director of sports science is a, now for Virginia Tech is a former 82nd Airborne paratrooper. Uh, I expect there's going to be a little more discipline, a little more accountability, and all that stuff uh, over there. I, I think he's the guy. He's, he's not the boss of the strength and conditioning staff or the nutritionist, but he's the guy who kind of coordinates everything together, I, I think, in, in the whole uh, – I mean, you can Google sports science. It's, it's relatively new uh, to a certain – it's gotten more coverage in recent years than, than it has in the past, and I think it was needed by Virginia Tech. And, you know, the GPS stuff is not new. Like, Virginia Tech was monitoring GPS stuff. That's where, that's where um, they got the numbers that Braxton Burmeister yeah. was, quote-unquote, the fastest right, player on right, the team because right. he um, reached the highest top speed. Right. Now, now the, some of the things you can use, and I don't know if this part of it was, was was being monitored before or not, but this is, I imagine, is what fits into the job description uh, of Brian Jackson. But, you know, you can do things like monitor a guy's top speed and a guy's average speed in every single practice. And if you see those numbers start to dip, you know, it could be three reasons for that. You know, he, he could be dogging it, which is a problem. Um, he could just be tired, and you need to give him a light work day for a couple of days to let him get his legs back. 
I imagine that's probably more of an issue from like mid-October on. Or sit and talk to him and say, did you go out last night? Right, right. right Would you right, eat yesterday? Right, right exactly. That kind of stuff. Exactly. Uh, or he could be hurt and just not telling anybody. Right. Um, so you can use those numbers. It's all about analyzing that data. Um, so I, I think that's a, that's a really good position. That, that's a position that I've been wanting them to add. So I'm very, very pleased to see that. That's a, that's a brand new position. Um, I just, it's, to me, it just seems like there's going to be more communication on the player development side of things from top to bottom. Like we've heard that, I don't remember who told us this, but we've heard that Brent Pry is going to require his assistant coaches to read regular reports from the strength and conditioning coaches about how their positional players are performing in the weight room. And that sounds simple. And I don't know for a fact that that wasn't happening before. But it just seems like, to me, that it's going to be a tighter ship now. Um, I think that they've created a position or two that I think are very important. But I I just think the communication from top to bottom, the accountability, the discipline, everything like that, seems like it's going to be better to me. And we were saying over the last couple of seasons that you know, it's a player development issue at Virginia Tech. It feels like this is a good step in the right direction. I, I, I know, I know, people talk about in-state recruiting and things like that. And guess what? If Virginia Tech had not, had changed their strategy over the last five years and signed a bunch of in-state kids and hardly any, any out-of-state kids, we'd be having the same conversation because those in-state kids wouldn't have developed. Just like out-of-state, Trey Turner was the same player as a senior as he was as a freshman. Just like out-of-state, Hendon Hooker didn't really progress until he left, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You know, yeah, we've definitely beaten yeah, that to death. We've beaten that to death. Uh, whether they're from Virginia, whether from not for, whether they're not from Virginia, yep. the most important thing is for these guys to to buy in and and be given, be pushed in the right direction, be given the proper resources. Uh, and just that, that player development thing is going to be the most important thing for Virginia Tech in the Brent Pry era. Uh, I, I know it's too, it's when it's way too early to, to judge it because they're just getting started with their off-season through the conditioning programs. Right now, all you have to go on is pictures on Twitter of which high school they're recruiting, <laughs> which makes everybody happy and gives everybody warm and fuzzy feelings and blah, blah, blah. That's not important in the long run, whether they're posting pictures online right now or not. That's, that's so irrelevant. What the most relevant thing is player development, whether they're from Virginia or not. And and, and by the way, development is a word that includes retention. Right. Yes. Um, I don't want to develop them for two or three years and then have them transfer out somewhere else. <laughs> development includes retention. Right. Uh, and we actually know now when we will get the first glimpse of maybe what the player development looks like. Uh, spring game scheduled for April, April 16th. Uh, a few months from now. So that'll be the first chance fans get a chance to look at uh, what Brent Pry is building. I want to mention the other hires. Uh, Jarrett Ferguson, you talked about, spent a decade on the tech strength and conditioning Love staff. Love Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, Matt Greenhog uh, coming over from <laughs> Georgia Southern. Uh, also spent some time at App State. Uh, reading through your article, it said, you mentioned how you, you got to force guys to take those per, post-workout supplements yeah. and, and eat. It seems like he's big on that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, he, he was responsible for running the fueling station at, at Georgia Southern. And Tech has a fueling station, but, you know, I've heard from people over there that 
it's not it was hasn't been really enforced like like they make special made shakes for players and things like that and everybody's so picky about they their, label them with the players. players names yeah it's really advanced and then i've heard horror stories about how you just you look in the trash can after a sec after a workout session and some players they just throw them away because they're so picky about the flavor and things like that and I don't want to sound like a tyrant here. This isn't tyrannical. <laughs> you have to make those dudes take their protein shakes. Okay? There's a reason we got skinny legs. Okay? You have to make them do do stuff like that even when they don't want to because it's for their own good. I knew this was going to be a fun conversation yeah. with Chris on uh, strength and con- it's conditioning. Re- it's, re- it's really not that difficult to figure out. I mean, and I wouldn't be talking so much about it if I hadn't experimented so much with it over the past couple of years. Like, I remember I took, like, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, because I knew I wanted to talk a lot about strength and conditioning in the off season, And so I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about. So I started taking a mass gainer. And, you know, it's I forget, it was like 700 or 1,000 calories or something like that. And I would take that every day. And, you know, I, I gained like seven pounds in less than a month. And it wasn't bad weight either. It was good weight. I'm, I'm on a 5'9 frame and I'm 30... I'm 39 now, and uh, and so if it can work for me at my age, I'm not a Division One athlete. You can go on fast for these young big guys oh, who are really sure. Yeah, out. absolutely. And there was one more hire, KJ Florence, coming over from Ole Miss. So spend some time in the SEC. That has to be good. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I think he he was an intern at Georgia for a while. And uh, you know Ferguson was so much experience at Tech, Florence. And obviously, Galt himself, the head strength guy, he spent so much time at Penn State and South Carolina and places like that. You've got a number of guys on the strength staff that have handled lots of experience handling Power 5 players before. And I think that's important. Dwight Galt, again, coming over from ODU, spent time at Penn State. He is leading that group on strength and conditioning, and then Carly Harris retained as the the director of nutrition. Uh, So that... That's the whole strength and conditioning staff. Overall impressions, does it seem like step in the right direction for them? I, I think so. Um, I, uh, I'm i pretty happy with it. I, I think they've uh, they've they've added a new position. The sports science position, I think, was much needed in, in the modern game. And when you're dedicating a, as much resources as Virginia Tech is to football now, I definitely think that was one of the positions that needed to be added. Um, so, uh, like, I, I feel like uh, – I feel like they made good hires there. Um, I think they they hired pl- they got plenty of Power Five experience w- with that group. Um, I, I think everybody knows what to do now. It's now it's just a matter of going out and doing it. And and I, I still think, and I've said this, like there's going to be an adjustment period. Like I think there's going to be higher lo- levels of discipline and higher levels of accountability and things like that now. And I mean, Virginia Tech has to get down to 85 by August anyway, and now, right now they're like 95 or 97 or something wow. like that, as, at least as far as we know in terms of announcements. So you're going to have to lose guys between now. The next couple weeks are going to be a culture shock to some players who are not used to being held accountable and are not used to being held to certain standards of discipline. And I'll always tell the story of when, when Tap was here. Um, he tried to discipline one of his players for – for being late to like a team meeting or something right. one day for a positional meeting. And the player was surprised and offended that Tap tried to discipline because nobody had ever disciplined him before. That guy ended up transferring. So that's what happens when guys who aren't used to being disciplined, somebody new comes in and tries to discipline them. 
a lot of them don't take it very well. Yeah. So there's going to be some more attrition between now and May. You, 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 there's going to be a few guys who are going to, they aren't going to like the new staff. You know what didn't happen that we talked about either last week or the week before was when the semester started, you didn't see a bunch of guys hitting the portal mm-hmm. and spending their semester. Instead, you saw announcement of guys returning, which, I mean, it's I'm so Jamari happy Connor. that Jamari Connor's coming back. And I think, yeah. it, so I wrote in my Q&A last week, I was like, well, you know, Connor went through senior day ceremonies last year, and we haven't seen an announcement that he was coming back, so I assume he's leaving. I wrote that, and then sure enough, the very next week he announces, <laughs> oh, I'm coming back, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but the one that really kind of surprised me was Nadir Thompson, who also went through Senior Day ceremonies. And Thompson's never really played before, but, you know, he's still still coming And back. I think that was tweeted by Nizia, like we were talking about that yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Nizia, like in the run of times. And, and he tweeted that Thompson is coming back and that Oscar Shadley is not coming back. So those those were the last two guys that hadn't really been addressed publicly. Mm-hmm. And, and again, have to get down to 85. So going to be... Well, there, there's, a, there's a numbers crunch. You know, everybody keeps asking, who else is Tech out in the transfer portal? Who else? Blah, 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 blah. Right now they got to lose like 10 <laughs> or 12 guys before, uh, you know. I mean, they took the quarterbacks and they took the wide receivers. I mean, you kind of had to. Like if Virginia Tech had stood pat at quarterback and wide receiver, we were going to win like three games this year. If they did not have the talent to win any more than that yeah. if those, with those positions. So as far as I'm concerned, they, they were must-adds. You take those guys, and then you worry about the numbers after that. <laughs> but for everything else, now now it's a numbers crunch. Now it has to be carefully managed. So talking about all these staff additions, you know, there were – it's not like none of these positions existed before, and there the positions right. that did exist before, there were competent people in them. Yeah. I think the important part is – What's the glue that's going to tie all this together? I think that was missing. You know, we've certainly talked that through and accountability and then just kind of bringing all of this together organizationally. And, you know, hopefully this this staff will excel at that. They need to. Um, again, they are right. You see what happens when they didn't. The, 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 their path to, you know, you look down there in North Carolina and Mac Brown shows up and they start, they signed a top 10 recruiting class this year. That's not going to be Virginia Tech. That's not going to happen. Right. They need to get the right people they want to get and keep them and develop them. So, yeah. again, we've worn that topic out. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Sometimes it's amazing to me that we actually – I think Virginia Tech was really poor at the CEO, communications, accountability, discipline thing, really poor. They still managed to, like, not completely tank. I mean, they won six games this yeah. past year, you know. Uh They didn't go two and ten. Right, right. Which uh, a lot of teams exactly. do. Which a lot of teams do, like – they won the same amount of games as North Carolina. You know, and there's a lot about the North Carolina organization that is way right. better than the Justin right, Fuente right. organization, and yet Justin Fuente beat him and had the same record. And they record had the same record. Uh, so, like, I think Fuente, I've said it plenty of times, and I'm not going to beat it to death, but I think he's a really, really good, pure football coach, and that's how Tech was able to win six games despite all those other issues. Right. Well, the six games is a lot, but I think it's a lot for considering the issues we had. And I will say that I see so much talk on the boards and everything else about Virginia Tech's talent. Like, we need more talent. We have a bunch of group of five players on the team and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it can – sometimes a lack of development is mistaken for a lack of talent. I agree. Um I don't think we're as untalented as some people think we are. I just think we've done a poor job developing players. I just I think when 
you know, I just I just study the PFF grades and things like that. And guys across so many positions, and they, they just keep getting worse throughout the course of their careers. Guys that were good players as freshmen, and they're just not good players as juniors and seniors. So, uh, so let me let me give everybody something specific to look at. Sorry to interrupt, but I didn't I didn't want to lose this thought. You look at Kenny Pickett, five years at Pitt, and you look how he developed, and let's wait and see where he gets drafted. Mm-hmm. And I want you, when you watch Grant Wells in the spring and if he plays next year, ask yourself the question, who's physically more talented? Is Kenny Pickett way more talented than Grant Wells physically? Grant Wells put up better numbers his first two years than Kenny Pickett put up his first two years. Kenny Pickett did not put up NFL-like numbers until his last year at Pitt, which, by the way, he wouldn't have had if it wasn't for COVID. Right. He got that. He took advantage of that extra year that was given to him by the NCAA yeah. and turned himself from a mid-round pick probably into a first-round pick. Yeah. At worst, second. At worst. And, and probably, I mean, there's a chance maybe he stays in Pittsburgh. I right. know the Steelers are looking for so, so I'm really excited to see Shamari Connor. Like, he, Shamari's probably going to, he's going to, he's not going to be playing nickel now. He's going to be playing either free safety or strong safety in, in the new system. I don't know which. I haven't thought deeply about it. But he's a guy who graded out like a 72 or 74 or something like that as a true sophomore starter. Had a really good season that year. Um, I know he's remembered for not playing great in the UVA game and struggling with Daz Newsom, which was a UNC tough matchup game. for him. Yeah. But on the whole, he was really good that year as a sophomore. And then his performance is – declined in 2020 and then they declined even more in terms of pff PFF grades and the eye test quite frankly right he was not as good a football so why is that it's not because he's not good enough it's because virginia tech had a big problem and you know you you can look around and and you see alan tisdale's performance is getting worse the longer his career goes and dax probably the same for dax holyfield i'm not blaming those guys because it's not they because they were in a system that wasn't conducive to player development. So is it because we lack talent? Because I was convinced that Trey Turner was a future first round pick when he was a freshman, and then he never developed. And I thought Alan Tisdale at one point was going to be an NFL linebacker, and then he somehow seemed to get slower and weaker as his career went, went along. You know, so I I, I think I, I think you're going to be surprised at some spots we're going to seem a little more talented than you thought we were this year at certain spots just simply the because case. the player yeah. development is going to be better, in my opinion. And those hires, definitely a good start for that to try and, you know, fill out some of these projects or developmental players that the Hokies are trying to bring in. Uh, before we go over to David, you mentioned Daryl Tapp. I believe he is the only Hokie still alive uh, in the NFL right I'm, now. I'm, uh, I wish he wasn't. <laughs> no offense to Daryl. Daryl uh, coaching for the San Francisco 49ers. They play in Los Angeles. Oh, by Angeles. alive, you mean in the playoffs. Still yes. The playoffs. Sorry. Yes. And that, yes. yes, he's the only Hokie still alive. He is the only Hokie, Hokie still, in, still the in the playoffs trying to chase a Super Bowl. <laughs> Chris, is, Chris is sad because he's a Packers Sorry for fan. anyone for those who, who didn't is, know that. Uh, confused by that. Yes, uh, yeah. Daryl Tapp coaching for the 49ers against the Rams on Sunday in the NFC Championship game. Uh, I don't believe any of the other four teams have a Hokie on them. Tremaine should still be playing. 13 be. seconds left to go. Squib kicked the ball. <laughs> for starters. I don't know. In a game like that, they probably would have done something What crazy. a quarterback duel. Yeah. I know. That was fun. 
David, so, we had uh, any good YouTube questions today? Yeah, first, before before we get to the YouTube questions, I wanted to give you this quote from Pry's press conference when he hired his full staff. This was about the projected scholarship numbers and stuff and just about attrition. And he said, quote, I would be surprised if there wasn't attrition. We've had some conversations. Antennas are up on some guys, but right now we'll have to see. There hasn't been enough interaction with the current roster. Position coaches have reached out this last week. Remind, or This was two weeks ago. Um, I've had some meetings here and there. As we dive in, the way we are going to do things, the accountability piece, the calendar, what our expectations are. I told the staff this morning there might be 15 to 20 guys that decided this isn't what's best for them and will address needs after spring ball. Ooh, he said 15 to 20. Well, wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, what do you think? I mean, they're at 95 to 97 scholarships yeah. right now. Uh, so, so just so if you don't want to add any more transfer portal players, you got to lose 10, 10 to 12 guys. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally buy that. And, and honestly, uh, it needs to happen. There needs yeah. to be a bit of a cleansing, in, in my opinion. Uh, YouTube questions. Uh, Josh Young asks, what's everybody's thought on current, on how uh, Ryan Smith uh, is the only coach assistant from the previous staff that uh, that has found a job everybody else seems to still be looking uh, any thoughts on that yeah I'm surprised Vance Vice hadn't landed somewhere yet that I, we know of I expect he's had his opportunity look these days coaches even um, coaches who were paid on the lower side like Texas assistants last year it's not like Vance Vice doesn't have any money <laughs> like Vance Vice can afford to not coach for a year if he really wants to do it up and hold out for whatever job um but you get off that treadmill, you might not get back on. You, you might know, not. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Um, so some of those guys will be back into it at some point. Now, if we're still having this conversation a year from now, then you're like, man, man how, that how did we win six games? <laughs> when they really held that program together is what you'll be saying what? a year from now. Which, honestly, I think that's probably kind of the case yeah. anyway. Yeah. Let's you, do one more. I was gonna say. Well, I was gonna say. You know, what's really interesting about that is, you look at the when we talked about the salaries a couple weeks ago, just how like underpaid Van, a guy like Vance Vice was. He was making like three hundred three hundred k, and Joe Rudolph's making seven hundred fifty k. I mean, that's a large difference. Yeah. Um, um, I want to touch on this real quick. Paul Patera asks, with the spring game announced, have you heard? Um, any news or info about practices, workouts, et cetera, with the new staff? Um, structures, philosophy, player buy-in, I, if you guys want to touch on that real quick. No, uh, well, I mean, off-season workouts just began this week. Yeah. So there's not there's not going to be any information coming about that for, for a while. We, don't, we know when the spring game is. We don't know exactly the date spring practice is going to start. We don't know the media policies. Yep. Um, yeah. But I'm sure we'll find out more. more um, for those who don't know, next Wednesday, February 2nd, is – the, the February sign, National Signing Day, and then Brent Pry will have a press conference. So I'm sure we'll get a lot of that information then. Is he definitely having a press conference? I, we haven't I heard, believe but, so, yes. but, but okay. it, it okay. is – Because they're only signing two guys, most likely. Because we, we've asked to have Pry on the podcast, and what Pete Morris has said is he's, he's going to do – I think Pete specifically said he will do a signing day Yeah, he'll do a media well. availability. He did one. So the, the other YouTube question I wanted to ask, um, it's from T-Man 450 again. What would you consider as an as a success for the 2023 recruiting class? Top 30, or do you care about the recruiting rankings at all? Uh, 
I'm not going to say the recruiting rankings or any of that stuff isn't important, but Virginia Tech signs a higher-ranked recruiting class than Wisconsin almost every year. I mean, it's most important that this staff identifies the culture. You know, there has to be a specific level of talent, of course, but I mean, it's it's most important that they identify the right players for their system and and their culture and their philosophies and, and things like that. I don't have a number in mind. Uh, I'm, I'm, if, you, if I mean, for Justin Fuente's first three classes were top twenty-five classes. Where did that get us? Yeah. Well, I'm 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 not so sure that the. You know, if you just want to talk about rankings, let's just talk about rankings. We, we beat player development to death, and that's all true. Let's talk about recruiting rankings, about that endorphin you get when you pull up the list, and Virginia Tech has certain stars and things like that. Um, I will not be judging that experience, I don't think, based on the 2023 class. Um, 2024 and beyond, again, just talking strictly from a ranking standpoint, I want to see five to seven, four stars a year. That's what they used to do. Are those four stars any good? We're not going to argue that. <laughs> if we're just going to talk about recruiting rankings, let's see. Five to seven four stars a year. I don't have any dreams about five stars. They are going to where the NIL money is enormous. Yes. Um, you know, <coughs> SEC. Um, I'm talking about the four stars that they used to get. And also, where are they from? Are they getting them from Maryland, from the DMV, from Virginia? Yes, from North Carolina, although that's a really tough get right now. Those are the things I'll be looking at. And and I won't, I probably won't, I think the only news you can get for 2023 is good. If they sign five to seven four stars in 2023, I'll be impressed. Mm-hmm. If they don't in 2024 and it's 23 three stars, a guy with no ranking and a four star, then again, strictly from looking at the rankings, I'll be going, hmm, okay. Um, well, yeah, let's see. I think about peak Beamer. I think you could argue that like the 2001 class was a top 15-ish class, but for the yeah. most part, Beamer's class has hovered around 25th in the country. Right. Uh, Justin Fuente's first three classes at Virginia Tech were around 25th in the country. Um, if Brent Prize classes are around the same thing, then at this point there would be enough evidence built up over 20-plus years that that's just where Virginia Tech's going to be. Yeah. And you can make a good team out of that. Sure. Absolutely. You can make a team that will win the as, as, as long as you, you identify the them as guys <laughs> that are fits for your culture and they're developed and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Definitely wait and see on a lot of that stuff, but uh, going to be fun to see how the recruiting shakes out, especially with, uh, you know, the how public uh, they've been in high schools and, and trying to recruit the Commonwealth of Virginia, as we talked about in early in the second half. I think that's going to do it here on episode 220 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're over 90 minutes in Ooh, now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I said before the show I thought this was going to be a shorter one, but, you know, sometimes topics just turn into others. They're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that basketball discussion went long. It did. It did. Uh, well, what is coming up on Tech Sideline, Chris and David? I know basketball tonight, women's basketball tomorrow. Anything else coming up? Uh, I should have a written version of this, the uh, the in-state recruiting numbers. Uh it's good. It's not going to be an article into of itself in of itself because I'm I'm also writing about St. Francis Academy and up in Baltimore, uh, very interesting school. And Virginia Tech offered a bunch of their players this past weekend. Um, not exactly exactly sure where it's going to go. 
because this podcast went so long and because I spent <laughs> most of my day yesterday writing on an unexpected topic that came up at the last second. With but that was a good standards. article. It was a good article. Yeah. First month. I originally planned. I don't know if this will be done by today or not, but uh, if not today, then tomorrow. Uh, for for the rest of Tech Sideline, um, obviously men's basketball game tonight. I'll be there for the fans. It's a whiteout, I, I believe. Um, Miami, 7 o'clock, ACC Network. Um, women's basketball game tomorrow at Virginia. Um, Hokies are looking to bounce back from the unfortunate loss at NC State. Uh, Chris Hirons will be there. Um, and uh, wrestling on Friday night, I believe, at Pitt. Um, Jack Briz and Nine should have a preview of that on Thursday, I believe. And then there's Tech Talk Live on Thursday. Yep. Um, I will have... Um, Depending on how much time I have today, I'm, I'm going to try to put together a, a little film review of men's basketball. Just go over some um, overall thoughts on things Virginia Tech's doing well at the moment and things they're not doing so well at the moment. So um, that's all at Tech Highland this week. Well, interested to see that one, especially big games coming up. Again, Miami, Florida State currently tied for the lead in the ACC. Tech mm-hmm. has them both coming down the pike in the next four days. Uh, thank you all for listening here on episode 220 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. want to thank everybody on set. Will Stewart, founder and general manager across the way, at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Make sure to give him a follow. As with Chris Coleman, at Chris Coleman TSL, the lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline, David Cunningham, in the fourth chair today, did a great job uh, at the real D. We have to celebrate Twitter. me going over 10K. 10K. Oh, we, oh, oh, 10K followers. 10,000. Right. I, you know, I did see that. Congratulations. With Let's the little minion dropping the mic. <laughs> did you add a thousand high school players in the last month? Like it's I did? it's uh, seriously, we had a discussion with the, about this on Twitter. When, when you do what we do for a living, at some point, recruits start. I would say half of my last 500 <laughs> followers have been recruits. You guys get to I, I look. Some of them are even middle school recruits. I've <laughs> looked at one of my followers the other day, one of my recent followers, and I, and he had just created his own Twitter account, and he had like five followers. So I look at his followers list, and it's all like class of 2028, seventh grade, five foot six, 115 pound oh, yeah. cornerback, right. Right. Uh, and I'm like. <laughs> really we gotta on. get him do you we, guys, we, but we better offer <laughs> do, you, do you guys get the i i sometimes have uh like high, high school kids dm me and go hey coach here's my film and it's like oh, yeah, oh okay and it's like happening. and it's like uh i'll pass it on no I'm <laughs> <laughs> i'll make sure to give them the message uh congratulations uh let's get him to eleven thousand. uh everybody listening make sure go to twitter at will stewart tsl mm on twitter uh mentioned david in the fourth chair always great to have his insights on the podcast at the real d kind on twitter and make sure to follow along with him tonight for the game against miami malcolm stewart always does a great job behind the scenes as our producer i'm your host jake lyman signing off enjoy the game tonight Hokies fans we'll see you next time